welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. It's been a while since I've spoken with an audiobook engineer here in the Speakeasy, so my guest tonight is, you guessed it, an audiobook engineer. In fact, he's been doing post-production on audiobooks to one degree or another for 20 years. Michael Kinsey, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. Good, good. Glad you could make it. I'm, uh, I'm, we have a few friends in common, uh, one of whom is Marnie Young, who was on the podcast uh, quite some time ago. I believe that was last year sometime. And uh, a few other people who, uh, who run in the same circles as well. So I'm glad they uh, could recommend you and I could reach out and you could make it in. Me too. And I love Marnie and I've been happy to be her lead engineer now since April of 2019. And 2020 is looking strong and brutal at the same time. <laughs> that's that's good. That's the the uh, the good news, bad news of having a lot of work. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Marnie is great. I'm uh, really bummed that I didn't get a chance to uh, to talk to her at APAC this past year. Hopefully, we can run into each other this year. But uh, that thing is uh, such a whirlwind, hard to get everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, so that's great. Thanks for coming into the Speakeasy. What are you drinking tonight, Michael? I'm actually, I just, you know, it's funny. This has been a crazy day today and I've been helping my wife downstairs. It's our first night of ordering, uh, a in-home service that sends you the food to prepare and cook. Oh, sure. Yeah. We just, we just got finished. We just got finished making that and I'm sitting down to have a little bit while I'm speaking with you. And I just messaged her to bring me up a shot of tequila because that's (laughs) tonight. Um, That's great. What kind of tequila you like? <clears throat> Patron is kind of my go-to. It's not the top. It's not the worst. It's not the best, but it's right in the middle for me, and it has never really led me too astray or wrong. Um, I love Patron. And, I, I think yeah. Patron is. Uh, it's just like you described. It's a great mid-shelf tequila. Uh, exact. Good price point. Uh, pretty ubiquitous. You can find it most places. Uh, so yeah, I've got a, a big bottle from Costco right now. It's uh, it's good stuff. It is. I just tried my um, my mother, my father-in-law actually just came back from Mexico and brought back some Patron. Um, it's almost like a, I want to call it like a Bailey's, but it's made with tequila. So it's like a coffee, chocolatey. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tequila. It was, it was the... different. I'm not a big fan of the chocolatey coffee types, but Anything that has the word Patron etched in it somewhere, I'll try it. <laughs> is that their, um, <laughs> uh, is that their Exo Cafe? It might. Mm, I don't know if it's the Exo Cafe, but it was a. Um, Something like that. I, I know that I've seen that. Yeah. It was a few different bottles that they offered. And um, I don't. I tried it. We tried it at the table and some of us cringed. Some of us were like, well, it's not bad, you know. <laughs> it's <But> different. <laughs> a different. I, uh, I like trying those those offshoots. I actually just made some from a, a recipe from a, a cocktail book that my wife got me recently. I made some um, some guajillo chili infused tequila mm. uh, liqueur. Mm-hmm. So it's got some sugar in it. It's got uh, the the guajillo chilies and it's got some cinnamon. And the cinnamon I found stronger than the chili, and so I'm going to mm. do it again with like two or three times as much of the dried chilies for the infusion. But uh, I like those offshoots. You know, you take something that you like, and then you uh, throw something else in it and see what happens. I agree, and I think spicy for me, spicier the better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love what you just said about altering that that recipe where you're going to lean a little more towards the the heat versus that kind of like overwhelming. Um, aroma or taste which yeah. is a sim- um yeah this yeah the I, I dig was, it i like i really liked it and it was it tasted like a great fall kind of thing i'm gonna try to come up with some good fall beverages that, that mm-hmm. include that because the cinnamon but uh, i just thought yeah i was looking for a little little more spice the the recipe initially actually calls for um a different kind of chili and of course now i can't remember which one it was um uh, ancho, I think. I think it was dried anchos, but we mm-hmm. didn't have any of those, but we did have guajillos. And so I thought, yeah, I'll give that a try. So anyway, I'll, uh, I, I liked it, uh, straight. Now I just have to come up with a good cocktail that includes it. <laughs> well, tonight I, I am, think I think you'll do well. We have another 
30 years to, to kind of perfect this. Let's do it. <laughs> One of these days, I'll come up with something. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of coming up with something, I'm actually having a drink tonight that I came up with uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, mm. It's not tequila-based, but uh, but I did come up with it myself. I was initially going for a uh, pineapple upside-down cake kind of taste. And mm. I looked online, and there's a lot of recipes for a pineapple upside-down cake cocktail. But the ones that I saw all used cake-flavored vodka, which I didn't have any of. And so I thought, you know, it seems to me that pineapple upside-down cake, you get that nice kind of caramelized sugar on the bottom that ends up being the top, and you got the pineapple. So I figured I got to start with the pineapple and rum. And then I put mm. in some um, some butterscotch schnapps, and it ended up not really being all that pineapple upside-down cake-like, but my wife took a sip, and she said, oh, my God, it's a butter rum lifesaver. So uh, <laughs> so I'm calling this the uh, tropical lifesaver. Pineapple juice, a little bit of rum, a little bit of butterscotch schnapps, and, uh, and it tastes just like you're getting a pineapple lifesaver and a butter rum lifesaver at the same time. I love it. And pineapple lifesavers were my ultimate favorite. I used to love um, those too. Yeah, the tropical They were my variety. favorite. The butterscotch, not so much. Um, yeah, me either. But that was one of her favorites, and so I figured, yep, yeah, I'll give yep. it a try. So. And it's funny you bring this up and I won't I won't go too far, you know, out into the stratosphere. But now we're talking, you know, a little bit more about, you know, drinking right now. But my wife brought home a recipe recently called um, it was called Giggle Juice. Um, oh, my. And the Giggle Juice was vodka. It was um, some Sprite. It was some uh, strawberry lemonade. And I believe it was a bottle of white wine that was added up. So you made like a full gallon of it. Wow. Uh, so yeah, that's a punch. So it was a, basically a one-to-one ratio with most of the ingredients. Um, and, and then you threw a little Sprite in there to kind of, you know, it's give it a, all a bubble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what we did for Christmas, since it was called uh, giggle juice, we, we redid it with a little bit of a divergence of the recipe and called it jingle juice. <laughs> That's uh, great. <laughs> and we really had a great time with it. It was a lovely drink. It's, you know, I'm not a big vodka fan, but vodka doesn't usually do you wrong if you do it in moderation. Really, nothing does. But, right. uh, you know, it was great. It was a it was a great way to kind of spend the holiday with a, a different drink that we haven't had. Well, that's cool. I, I like trying that. So I try to come up with new ones every once in a while. And my wife loved this one because she loves butterscotch, uh, butter rum lifesavers. And uh, I like it, too. It's not so much the butterscotch, but uh, rum and pineapple. Hard to go wrong. <clears throat> well, I'd like to do a virtual cheers right now. All I, right. I, wanna, I was going to have a sound effect all ready to do the <laughs> ching, ding, ding, ding. That's all right. I got but, one for you. <laughs> all right. All right. And and I'm drinking right now. So thanks for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it. My buddy. pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to get that uh, that live sound effect dialed in for this uh, this podcast, but it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, so you are, if I remember correctly, you are on the East Coast at this point. Yes, sir. I'm in New Jersey. Is that, um, been is that, here where, you, is that where you started out? Uh, with with the audio engineering work. Yes, absolutely. Um, where, where are you from originally? Uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, so not too far away. No, nope. uh, really quick. My my life was uh, Baltimore, Maryland until I was about eleven, and then I moved to Boulder, Colorado. Oh, now that's for a different. Year. Yeah, Boulder, Boulder was beautiful for about a year, and then moved to uh, Jersey right after that. So Baltimore, Boulder, New Jersey within three years, and I've kind of stayed here other than going to music school in uh, Hollywood, California, in nineteen eighty seven after I graduated high school. Oh, no kidding! Which school? It's called Musicians Institute. Uh, it rings a bell, it's and in, I'm not sure why. It's in Hollywood. It's right, literally, off of McCadden Place, off of the boulevard. Um, and it was, I think it was founded in, I went, I started there, in, or I went there in 87, and I think it was founded in, like, 85, maybe? Oh, so it was fairly young at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, I, I've been a drummer literally since I was 12 and I'm 51. So I've been playing drums for over 38 years. And, um, that's kind of what brought me into the audio world actually was music and the love of live music. And then the love of capturing live music myself and then, and or digitizing live music that you couldn't recreate and or get in any other format. That's great. Um, that's a long time to be drumming. Do you still have any hearing left at all? <laughs> what? <laughs> It's it is good and bad that I I do hear okay. I do have some tinnitus issues, um, you know, with the high pitch in my ears. I and mean, you know, if if it's stone silent, 
uh, it sounds like I'm in a, a field of crickets mm-hmm. Yeah. At, at times it does. I mean, it's not, it's not like you can't concentrate and you're going to run your head into a wall because that's all you hear. But if you really dig down into it, it's, it's damaged, but I try and as I've gotten older, I've tried to make those adjustments and putting in earplugs and remembering to put in earplugs mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> when needed. And I just booked with my band this year. We just started to book um, shows starting in March because I hate gigging in January, February on these coasts just because of weather. You just never know. And yeah, March can be a mess here, but it's still the the earth is tilting back. It's getting a little bit dark, lighter later and the yeah. sun is a little closer. And You know there's so, an end in sight. Yep, there's an end in sight. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's cool. Um, I I am a big fan of the drums. Uh, took a couple lessons way back when. Never uh, never got fully into it, but uh, music lover in general. So uh, so it's it's good to hear that. And uh, but aside from going to school in in L.A., you've been in uh, New Jersey. So uh, how did you get into audio engineering? Well, that was where we uh, when we were talking earlier before we started the podcast. It was that. I was working kind of, I was, you know, as a drummer and, and where I was not happy in school, um, I didn't do well in school. I wasn't, I was having problems in school. I went from fifth, fourth grade to fifth grade to sixth grade in three different States. Um, (laughs) it was a really tough time for me. I have a learning disability, even at 51, um, that wasn't really brought out because in, in the eighties, you were labeled as um, kind of like a slow kid or, you know, you had to go to the remedial classes because you weren't, you know, on par with everybody else. But really what I had was a a learning disability when it comes to comprehension and reading and then pulling it back and then being able to re-spit that out. But if I heard it in an audio format, which I learned later in life, which music taught me that, um, I could learn it that way and then recreate it or redo it and, and do what I need to do because I've listened to it. Um, or I've had hands-on actions or, or hands-on, you know, time with that, you know, situation or whatever it is that I was working on. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that was helpful. But what I did was I, later on in life in the late nineties, I started to work and float around in jobs. I didn't really have a focus, didn't really have a direction. I was a musician. I really wanted to be the drummer of all drummers but I had to have a job. So I found a job working in an engineering firm firm and long story short. Um, and it was an architectural engineering firm. So I was more of a kind of a, a crony that just worked and did kind of, you know, pick up stuff or just, it was different than being the actual civil engineer or an architect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, worked there for years and I befriended one of the, um, civil engineers and was talking to her one day, um, in our little coffee room, and I said, so what does your husband do? Oh, he works for Recording for the Blind. And Recording for the Blind now is Learning Ally. Um, right. So I said, hey, if there's ever anything that comes up at Learning Ally, I mean, well, Recording for the Blind at the time, mm-hmm. uh, please let me know. And literally, like, weeks later, I was brought in for an interview because they were just changing over from analog to digital uh, recording, and they needed to start to beef the stuff up. And that was where I was talking to you about I was digitizing cassettes of bands that I had of live music in order to archive them. Um, and that fell in line with some of the stuff that they were starting to do and needed to do at Recording for the Blind at the time in order to preserve and or have available material in a digital format without reinventing the wheel, which was digitizing our analog you know, core library, which was about 6,900 titles, I believe was the number. Yeah, I'm actually surprised it was that low, but um, be, but I know that they have a lot of stuff, and I know that they have way more stuff now. Um, I was working for Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic back in, I want to say 2004, 2005, something like that, and that was still prior to when they were having people record at home, uh, and yes. well before they, they changed to Learning Ally. I don't know <laughs> if once they went, you would know this, whether... Um, when they went, when they changed the name to Learning Ally, were they already doing record at home stuff? It was, there was some at home recording. We've been doing kind of at home recording in a, <laughs> I'll just say a really makeshift and um, not appropriate. And I don't mean that in a PG to R third, you know, uh, ratio, but mm-hmm. it was just, it was analog equipment. It was never 
we didn't ever talk about, hey, where are you going to record this book? Yeah, where, never, never really you know, vetted Is it going to sound good? I mean, yeah. what are we getting as a final output? It was a nightmare. I mean, and that's where I spearheaded years later the virtual recording that I started with um, some core volunteers and making sure that we could do this and then hone the process, which we all know and love now. Not that Learning Ally developed how to record from home, but we had to develop it for our own volunteers under certain parameters that are like, hey, you don't have a lot of money and nobody has a lot of money to do this and you're already giving your time. So here's what we need to do in order to potentially get you up to speed and make this work. Yeah, um, and, and so that you can turn out a professional product that is fairly consistent between um, narrators. Exactly. And we, we had a lot of, you know, um, good and bad. We've had a lot of volunteers that went by the wayside and said, I can't do this. If I can't go into a studio, we understand. There was a lot of the camaraderie that came with going into a brick and mortar location um, that went away when we said, hey, we have to do this financially, virtually, because we're just bleeding money when mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not helping our members and the members are the key ingredient to everything that we do. Right. Um, so <laughs> if we're, if we keep the eye on the prize, which is that end user slash member, um, then where we do what we do becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As long as, you know, like I said, you've, you've got, um, consistent high quality audio, then yeah, it doesn't really matter. And, and that's certainly true in, uh, the entire audiobook world now, as well as other genres of VO. You know, there's so much mm -hmm. VO that's happening uh, out of out of home studios now. I'm going to be doing a little session at VO Atlanta coming up in March, where I'm going to talk to hopefully a few people at least if they come into the session uh, about what it means to set up your home studio and without you know thinking that it needs to be the Don LaFontaine setup. And, right. <laughs> you know, you want to make a million dollar product sound. I mean, you want to make your million dollar sound, but you only have to spend a little bit to actually do that. If you think about it and mm -hmm. you, and you do the right work on what that means and where that means to do that. Right. Uh, and every home is so, different and everybody's got different challenges. I know that, uh, I had my own challenges, so I ended up building my own booth and, didn't really break the bank. It, uh, you know, cost more than I would have liked, but that's always the case. Um, but it was cheaper than a studio bricks and yet it keeps out most of the external noise, which is what I needed. So good to go. Yep. 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 If you get the noise floor, I don't care if you're in a car, I don't care if you're in your garage, I don't care if you're you know, wherever you are, if your noise floor hovers in and around minus 60 ish down, mm -hmm. then I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so you started working for uh, recording for the blind or dyslexic before they changed the name to Learning Ally. Um, that's correct. And then uh, you just kind of kept working for them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, my, my key, my card or my key card kept working to go in the building. So I figured I'm just going to keep going in <laughs> until they, that thing doesn't it. work. But yeah. no, I, I've actually, you know, the one thing I love about Learning Ally now, um, and I've loved the organization forever. I mean, I can't tell you, Rich, um, I'm, I'm 51 years old. I've been working at the same company for 20 years, but I feel like I've been there for about two weeks. I mean, well, I'm not great, keeping it fresh. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not at the point where I'm like, Oh, I got to get up and go to work. I've been very fortunate in the last five years, um, to be able to work the majority of it from home because we were honing our, as a company, as an organization, how we're going to work with our virtual volunteers. And as you know, you don't always do work for VO at Monday through Friday, nine to five. It right. could be you get an email on a Saturday and you have to get that, that demo in or that submission in a Sunday morning so they can hear it on Monday. Mm -hmm. um, so you're working on the weekends or you're working odd hours. And we understand that. And as, as an employee for 20 years, I've been able to become very flexible and accommodating, I should say, which I, I could say that's almost a, a, a problem, but it's still a good problem um, that I've made myself very available over the last five years to not to, to volunteers because I understand they're volunteering their time. If they're volunteering their time, I need to be there for you. Yeah. Um, and, and especially when we're dealing with people differently than we've ever had a volunteer base where the volunteer base we used to have was a person that just literally walked in off the street and says, Hey, I'd like to work for you. And then they would be put in a booth with a book and record with no vetting, no understanding of why they, they should be in there or shouldn't. 
And it was understandable even at the time because we used to be pushed on how many hours of, of material we could record in a given year versus, you know, it was quantity over quality. Mm -hmm. And now it's quality over quantity, which everybody I think agrees on. Um, when, when we're talking about an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. And I, I love the organization. I, I think that they are, they are, they're really great providing a great service. Where, um, where did you work? If I could interrupt real quick, where out of, uh, were you in our Hollywood location? No, it was Palo Alto. I was in the Bay area at the time. Mm. So I was mm -hmm. working in Palo Alto and there was also an organization, which I think is still there in downtown San Jose called Books Aloud which also produced audiobooks for free use for visually impaired um, patrons, but it wasn't primarily geared towards um, students. So I know that Learning Ally is primarily focused on students, or maybe entirely, I, I'm not sure, but um, Books Aloud, on the other hand, was uh, not focused on students. It was, it was novels and it was uh, nonfiction, but it wasn't really focused on educational. Right. Well, we, we, well, you know, and to, to, to kind of piggyback off of that, we do a lot of non-educational material because you got to think about it where kids that have a learning difference are hopefully identified at a young age where they're just learning, hopefully the love of reading. And that means they're reading the literature, they're reading the fun, the non-fictions, the fictions, they're reading things that, um, that they should start to enjoy to love and, and to make mm -hmm. sure that we have the Rich Millers and the Marnie Youngs and the Dave Finoys and the, you know, Lisa Biggs and the Heather Masters and the, uh, I mean, I could go on and on with the people that have recorded for us that are just brilliant in the audiobook world. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's what really makes the difference. And, um, you know, knowing that you were in Palo Alto, I'm surprised that if you had been, how long had you been working, you know, with us at the time before they moved on out of Palo Alto? Oh, I don't remember. In fact, I think that, uh, I know that I stopped doing work for them at some point because I stopped focusing on voiceover and I went back oh. to a regular day job, which made it uh, virtually impossible because yeah. they, they weren't doing home recording at the time. Uh, so I don't remember when they... Uh, in fact, I wasn't aware that they were no, that they no longer had a presence in Palo Alto. Um, but uh, so it was, it was before they left, I'm sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. No worries. So, but you know, anyway, overall, we, we do tap into the, the actual, you know, fun literature books where to your point, um, you know, people want to enjoy something and kick back and relax versus maybe learning something mm -hmm. that's a little different. Yeah. Um, well, it is a great organization, and I, uh, I encourage people to look into it if they're looking for another place to use their, their audiobook skills. So, uh, so you started working for them, and uh, then you, you kept working, and your, your key card is still working. Uh, when did you get into <laughs> doing audiobook post-production outside of um, Reading for the Blind and then Learning Ally? So after probably about, about seven years ago, I was... I was um, somebody emailed me that recommended me or at least linked up with me to say, Hey, I'm producing a book or I want to produce a book for ACX. Actually, no, it was, um, I'm sorry. It was, it was Deborah Prum and Deborah Prum is an author and she wrote a book, um, that was called fatty and the backseat and fatty in the backseat was about a kid that was bullied. Um, and it was a book that she thought that was uh, pertinent to a learning ally and a uh, library mm -hmm. because of the struggles that kids have. I mean, this is just one other struggle sure, um, yeah. that you go through, um, that people go through. And she thought it might be pertinent to our library. So we struck up a wonderful relationship. And, and I actually talked her into recording her own book, which I know some authors like to do. And looking back on it now, she kind of pushed back saying she shouldn't, but I said, no, I think, I think it's good because you really are telling the story. So long story short, I did Fatty in the Backseat was my first uh, uh, actual professional production for ACX um, slash Audible. And since then, um, it's kind of just snowballed each year. I've gotten more and more clients. Um, and then by luck of the draw, Marnie Young actually a few years ago re referred me to a gentleman named Tim O'Dell who runs uh, – 
Silverton Audio because I was looking. I'm always looking for uh, freelance work. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I know Marnie's Marnie done a lot for Silverton. Yeah, she's done a lot for Silverton, and she recommended me to Silverton. Um, Tim contacted me, and we started, you know, working together. But it turned out that I I was really looking to be more a part of Marnie Marnie Young's team than a Silverton Audio team, and it turned kind of literally weeks later that Marnie Young ventured out on her own um, to create Audio Sorceress uh, mm-hmm. organization or company. Yeah. And then reached out to me to say, hey, would you be my lead engineer? And I said, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, and, that's and great. And so that's where that's kind of taken off. And I've done some work with other, um, I, I think I talked to you a while ago about, uh, I won a Sovis Award last year for producing um, Tara Langella's narration of Crave Me, which is written by Ceci Robson. And it was Tara Langella's first submission to Sovis and my first submission outside of Learning Ally to Sovis and we won and we were sitting up on stage at the awards in in Burbank two years ago and it was just surreal. No doubt, Uh, yeah. Congratulations, (laughs) that's great. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that and it's fun. It's all fun and I love Rudy and I love Joan Um, and and it was great and this year to be able to submit for Learning Ally again for our fourth year in a row and be nominated and then have Dave Fenoy as one of the nominees for one of the books and actually win for us. I had no uh, idea that Dave Fenoy had done any audiobooks. I always think of him <laughs> as just animation. And it's funny because he will tell you right to your face, I will never do an audiobook again. But <laughs> Mike, I've, I've heard say, that from several say, people. <laughs> but if Mike calls me and needs me to do something, I will do it because he loves who we are and what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he knows what he's doing for and who he's doing it for. So to, to, to your point, to have a, gentleman like Dave Finoy dig deep and do actually he did not just one book he did a trilogy and they were graph it was a graphic novel and I think um all told there was it was probably about six hours of audio finished Mm -hmm. but you know that's that's pretty extraordinary for somebody that doesn't like that work. Right. Yeah. No, I, I understand. And there are a lot of uh, high-level voice actors out there who just, you know, hard pass on audiobooks. And I understand it. it is not something that's for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us love it and thrive in it. Some of us don't. Some of us try it and decide, yeah, maybe not. Um, <laughs> and I know that there are some some voice actors that say, I have nothing but respect for audiobook narrator. I will never do another book for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, that's cool. You got to work with Dave. I uh, I'd like to meet him at some point. Uh, so at this point, so you said that you know the key card for uh, for learning ally. Um, at this point, you're still working for them. How much time mm-hmm. do you spend uh, working on their premises, and how much time do you spend working at home when it comes to audiobook work? Yep. So Learning Ally is still my uh, full-time, my full-time job. Um, so I do that five days a week and it's about 37 to 38 hours a week of my time. Mm-hmm. And then what I do is I dedicate, I've gotten really good about this at, um, in the last year is to get it, dedicate, regardless of what the function is, is two hours an evening to my audio sorceress and or my audio editing LTD work, which I also do not only am I the lead engineer for, <clears throat> pardon me, Audio Sorcerers, but I do have a a small little company that I have people that work with me and that people, other clients come to me to produce their books as well. Got it. Uh, wow. So you got a lot of irons in the fire in the audio book have, fire there. I do have a lot of irons in the fire. It keeps me, I'll just say, alert. <laughs> <laughs> and awake 24 hours a day, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can get a little stressed about it, but um, no doubt. it's good stress. I mean, as we talked earlier, you know, work is great to have yeah. and that's, that's wonderful. Um, you know, if I'm going to talk about stress and it's work stress, then I'm happy about that. I really am because without work, I would go insane. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a two edged sword. I would, uh, I totally understand being available, especially on the weekends. And I pretty much do not consider Saturday and Sunday a weekend anymore. I just cons- oh. consider them work days. But what I have found helpful and in the past few weeks for a number of reasons, I haven't really been able to do it, but taking a specific day off a week and just calling that my weekend. I don't care what day it is. Uh, we kind of focused on Tuesday for a while. That's kind of a hit or miss thing lately, but, 
Uh, I do think it's important to not work 24 7 365 and uh, so I'm I'm all in favor of trying to help people get that work-life balance it doesn't have to be the same work-life balance Saturday Sunday weekend kind of thing that most people have but having some kind of balance is good yeah exactly and and that and I fall prey to 365 24 7 at times and I look at myself I'm like oh my lord what where has time gone and and yeah well my son what he's now 75 years old what have I done yeah um but no I there there are times where I do I literally look at my phone I look at my computer and I just say nope it's all going blank for the next six hours and I just I think decompress I was just talking yep. to somebody a couple of nights ago about maybe doing like a phone-free Friday because I live and die by that damn phone. And um, yeah. and I, I'm just thinking, oh, you know, I think this will be something else that will be good for me is to just turn off, um, turn off the phone, turn off the computer. And uh, it's it's really difficult these days, especially when you're doing an entrepreneurial kind of thing. But uh, But it does seem to help. So... Yeah, because you never know. Is that call a, a work call? Is that something I'm going to miss out on something? Exactly. And, and that's what yeah. we've we've conditioned ourselves to feel that way. Um, and I feel like we could recondition ourselves to still feel that way, but not be on such a uh, an alert status, maybe. Yep. yep. Because yep. if somebody's calling for you, as far as I'm concerned, um, they're going to call back because they need you for something and you're being you're being called because of something and i feel like unless your reputation is so far out there that they're just doing it out of a whim then then they're not going to call back but i i do feel and, and you know common common practices hey you contact me i'm going to contact somebody back within 24 hours i mean that's my mm-hmm. my mantra you know no matter what the situation is to your point no no more weekends it's just when do i get a day off is it a right. tuesday it's a beautiful day. That's my Saturday. Um, and it it could be a Wednesday next week and I'm just going to take advantage of those days and make sure that I, I use those days for my own purposes. Again, I've been stressing out recently because I haven't played the drums in a few months and I'm like, I know why I get stressed a little bit easier now because I haven't beat the living crap out of my drums. (laughs) That's, that's a good way to look at it. Beat the living (laughs) crap out of something that'll relieve some stress. I mean, it's, it's, it actually helped me so much as a youngster, my friend, that I didn't even know it. Mm -hmm. It was so important and powerful music and playing drums at a young age for me were so therapeutic without me knowing it was, it was just unbelievable. And I only realized it later in life because you now know what triggers certain things and what help certain things that trigger certain things. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I am a firm believer that a music education is almost critical. Um, I think that it can be mm-hmm. so incredibly helpful, even if at the time the kid doesn't realize it. And I didn't. Um, but I'm so thankful that my parents, you know, did some of the music lessons, got me in band, uh, and, and, had that foundation so that later in life, when I did realize how much it meant to me, I already had a foundation. So, um, so that's cool. So speaking of music and you are a drummer and a lover of music (laughs) and all that, uh, you started out with the audio engineering, doing some music stuff, and now it's mostly spoken words. So, um, tell me real briefly, what are the differences between working on spoken word audio and other types of audio? I know this comes up online sometimes and people say, oh, well, so I'm getting into post-production for audiobooks. I've been a, an engineer for 20 years. And they say that they've been working on music the whole time. And there are a lot of people who feel like it's not necessarily, you know, that doesn't necessarily matter that you've been doing um, audio engineering for that long because it's all music. So tell me what you see as some of the differences between working on spoken word and, and other types of engineering. Well, the great thing about music is that there's multiple layers and not that there's not necessarily layers in spoken word when we maybe talk about ensemble or even treatment to the audio. But pardon me, as a whole, you have a lot of a lot more flexibility in your overall concept of the of the file, I'll say, than you do when you're talking about one voice, one microphone, linear left to right audio, and then the potential for all of the other things that are introduced to one speaking, which are, which we all know as engineers are the mouth noises and the, and the clicks and the things that, 
that you have to pay attention to. And I go literally, I go batty um, over ma- mastering an audio file where you have to, as an engineer at times, you have to almost listen and not look at the file. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, because you, you know start, what the waveform looks like and you know, oh, well, that's going to be a problem when yeah, maybe it's actually not. It's the spectral view that that'll get you. It, once you start to watch and look at something in a spectral view and then you start to understand what certain things are that you as an engineer have to um, alleviate and or address, you literally can go uh, batty because it's all in front of you visually. And, and But if it's not there in an audio format necessarily, that's why I have to turn my head quite a bit when I'm I'm editing because what I see, I might not necessarily hear, but I have to also err on the side of I've been playing drums for 38 years. So mm-hmm. do I do I double check that? Do I make sure I refer this to another um, second party just to make sure? Um, but whatever it is, uh, the the audio when you record something either live or in a studio of a band, you have way more. Um, there, there's so many more streams coming into one single channel at the end that I feel that you have less to worry about when you're mixing or mixing that versus just one voice because everything stands out when you're all alone. It's like when you see somebody do the Star Spangled Banner in front of the L.A. Dodgers, it's like you hear every word that they're saying. And when they screw up, it's it's even more uh, you know, amplified, no pun intended. Right, right. But if you've so only got, if you've got five different instruments playing something and somebody plays a note that's just a little bit off, you won't necessarily notice it in that mix. Not, not as much, no. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, I'll refer to, you know, a live, uh, kind of, uh, experience about something like that, where Gene Simmons from Kiss says in an interview a long time ago, where when you screw up in the band, and you're playing live and you look like you screw up and you kind of look around and your band players looking like, oh, I'm sorry, I screwed up versus looking at them like, yeah, that's the best note ever. And just showing <laughs> that attitude because it's it's more about what you get finally versus what you're getting to your point. Maybe a little off note here, here and there versus all the music coming together. It sounds good. Um, yeah. One voice by itself. There's There's way more room for... Um, somebody to critique and or be subjective or find things that they don't like about it. Yeah. I hear the same thing. I I sing in a community chorus here in Tucson. And um, the worst thing that you can do when you're in an ensemble like that, especially, you know, we've got uh, 60, 70 guys up on the stage at one time. The, The worst thing that you can do if you hit a wrong note is to telegraph the fact that you just hit a wrong note. Exactly. if you don't do that, nobody knows if exactly. you if you stand there and slap your forehead and, and go oh damn everybody <laughs> knows that if they yep. just heard something a little bit off it was you <laughs> yep. yeah yeah so. and, and you know and, and maybe the other 70 people in your ensemble know but the people that are watching you to your point if you're not telegraphing the mistake they're all in the moment they're not into yep. individual notes and individual people I'm keying in on Rich over there. Up, oh, I can tell he messed up. Yeah. Um, that's not how it works, and that's the same way I feel when I play live music in my own band. Where, as long as we kind of meet back in the middle at some point, it's you know, mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen some of my greatest bands. I mean, some of the greatest musicians I've I've loved for my life, my whole life, screw up. I mean, it's you're human. Yep. Um, you know, to see a band name, you know, the band called Rush. You know, these are three prominent musicians, three top of the line musicians, three guys that have been doing what they've been doing forever. And I remember one of my first concerts, I saw them back in the early 80s and I saw them screw up. I was like, everything I thought of just went by the wayside because I thought they were inhuman, (laughs) you know, but they're not. They're human as we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I could see how that would be a big difference because when uh, you're dealing with a single track for an audio book, not much to draw your attention away from the uh, the narrator's voice. (laughs) Nope. Nope. And, you know, as as you know, engineers take some real time and, and care to make sure that you sound the way you want to sound and and way the way it should sound and not have anything that's distracting from the performance. 
Yeah, yeah. So distractions from the performance. So you mentioned uh, mouth clicks, a bugaboo for, well, pretty much all of us. Um, and, and, you know, there are certain tricks out there. Threads get put up online about this about three times a day. Um, everybody talks about green apples and peanut yep. butter and salt and water and whatever else. I've tried just about everything, as, just like most people have. Um, so what do you use for that? Are you an RX fan or do you use something else? I am an RX fan. Um, I work closely at times with Roy Yokelson. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, sure, with yeah. Roy. Uncle Roy, yeah. Yep, Uncle Roy, yep. So he and I have been in cahoots, I will say, uh, for the last few years, and he's helped me set up my <clears throat> Adobe Audition, pardon me, um, to to make sure that we have at least a decent algorithm to get rid of, I'll just say a majority of, of things that if you were the true, if you really are truly editing a file and it's a 10 hour book finished and you're an engineer and you went through meticulously one for one for every mouth click, you would be there for a year. Oh yeah. Um, oh, I can't and, believe and, anybody and nobody, could do that. <laughs> exactly. And you just can't do it. It doesn't, there's nothing, there's nobody in the world that would say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and I and I can also say from my own experience, um, most people that I speak with, and I say, well, listen to this because I I heard this thing and I want to get rid of this. No matter what it is, half the people say, well, I think maybe I heard something. Whereas to me, it's like this this sudden you know bass drum sounding in the middle of everything. Mm -hmm. It's so mm -hmm. obvious. And then I talk to other people and they're like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so. I had that instance. I just started working with Susan Barbetta. I don't know if you know who Susan Barbetta is. Oh, Suzanne. Is. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know Suzanne. Yeah, yeah Suzanne. Yeah. I'm sorry, Suzanne Barbetta. So I just started working with her and she has six books that I'm doing um, for her right now. And I was a I was brought in because she, her main engineer, I guess, went off to a publishing house. So she was looking for a, a new person to potentially work with. And I said, Hey, no problem. Let's see what I can make you happy. Mm -hmm. You know, send me a sample. I made sure I sent it back. She was happy. But to your point, I think everything is subjective. You know, can I find something in Rich Miller's file that Rich Miller can't find and that somebody else can't find or that somebody else can find that I can't find? we could dance around that all day long. Yep. Um, and my, my goal is to make sure that my files are to the spec that the publishing house is expecting that it sounds lovely to the ears, both in all different formats, whether it's in headphones, through speakers, through your car, um, through a tiny boom box. So you, you know, you do all different kind of parameters to make sure that it sounds the way you like it. And as long as something's not glaringly, you know, snapping in your head that shouldn't be there, um, those files are good to roll. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because, again, I, I could still be working on files from five years ago if I were to do what RX-7 is enabling us to do as engineers um, up until a, up to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't get everything because when you get everything, you're starting to get um, – syllables that are chopped off. Um, then, then, then all of a sudden you're hearing words that don't sound right. And then people are like, well, this is jacked up. And you're like, well, Hey, I just ran RX seven. Well, yeah. Cause you, you killed it. Um, mm -hmm. so there, there is some, some, uh, I would say nuances and, um, ways that you need to be careful with the software that you are enabled to have nowadays. Yeah, um, no, I, that, that makes a lot of sense um, based on yep. some things that I've heard, and I assume that that's what's going on. It, it makes me think of uh, another question. How do you feel about breaths? I know that another question that comes up frequently online is dealing with breaths. Take them all out. Don't take them all out. Don't take any out. Don't do anything. Use a debreather. Don't use a debreather. Um, what, are, what are your experiences when it comes to dealing with breaths? I don't recommend a, a algorithm to remove breaths. I think that that's where you start to chop off um, syllables of words. Uh, it's just it's it's too risky. And 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 then what my my kind of modus operandi when I when I look at a file is to look for breaths that are <gasps> you know kind of big yeah. uh -huh. um, and, and very <laughs> obvious for a reason that it shouldn't be there. And that's because the narrator went a little too far in the line or the line was just a run on sentence and they mm -hmm. had no place to, yeah. to, to kind of capture it. So, 
I pay attention to the peak and I go at a certain decibel level for breaths. Um, when you go down that road of every breath out, you know, eh, I still err on the side of, if I have a 20 minute file, I'll use this as an example, a 20 minute chapter, I'm going to probably leave a few minutes worth of breaths scattered throughout the, the file to your point, because it's realism. This is what really happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, where again, when you're talking to somebody on the street and they're like, Hey, Rich, how are you? You're good. And all of a sudden they're not going to go, <gasps> Rich, so how are you doing? You know, yeah. what's going on? You know, so those are the sorts of things that I look for visually as an engineer that say, boom, I'm keen on, on that. I'm keen on this. Boom, boom, boom. And then I look at it one more time and then I listen to sections. And if it, again, if it doesn't throw me off my chair, uh, I leave it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Um, what about other tools? What, what are the common tools that you use when you are editing and mastering an audiobook? Uh, my main go-to is Adobe Audition CC 2019. So creative cloud 2019 with, um, the plugins for RX seven. Oh, I didn't realize uh, that, uh, that, RX could be used as a plugin. I thought that it was standalone. I have not used RX. I've just heard great things and, um, I keep meaning to look into it, but it just, it hasn't been a priority and it hasn't seemed to have been a problem without it. And so, um, so I didn't realize that you could use it as a plugin for Adobe audition. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, that's great. It, yeah. And if I go back to uncle Roy and his tutelage and his help, well, I know uh, that he's also an Adobe audition expert. He, he is. And I, I look to him quite a bit and I think we both have gotten great information from each other over the com- the last few years. Um, cause I brought up some things to him where like, he's like, what, let me call Let me, let me contact Adobe on that one. Um, but yeah, so the tricks of the trade, I think it, less is more to your point, Rich. Um, you don't want to over-process anything. That's the way I really lean towards, uh, my audio. Some people run their audio through a stack prior to me getting it, which I don't recommend if I'm a, an engineer working with a narrator. Mm-hmm. I don't want your stack unless it's just a, maybe a, a little compression to even out or maybe some some noise gate to remove some of your floor that's coming through potentially. Um, but I actually always ask for straight up raw because of my recipe. My recipe is uh, proven. It's, uh, it's award-winning and I want to keep it that way when I work with people and I think they're happy when they come and go from my, um, my engineering skills. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the specific tools within Adobe that you use then? I mean, I know that, um, you know, some of the things that I use are compression, a high pass filter, stuff like that. What do you, what do you typically use if, if you've got somebody's audio and you're going to be mastering it? Um, when I first get my audio, depending on if it's dual narration or, um, single narration or even ensemble, is to make sure that I, I normalize everything to a minus three dB. Um, I run a, what's called an FFT filter, which removes anything under like 75 Hertz out from the audio, which is at that low level. Um, what, which how could is that be di- more of a, how is that different than a high pass? It, it's similar to a high pass. I don't run a high pass, but I do run the FFT, which drills down at those low frequencies and just kind of siphons them out. But to your point, you can call it a high pass filter. Um, but I don't in, in Adobe audition, they have an high pass filter and they have the FFT and I have with Roy's help set a parameter of, uh, I think it's, um, again, around 75 Hertz mm-hmm. where it's just sucked out of that file. Okay. So I run, even if it's not even in the file, I just run it because if it is, it's gone. If it isn't, it's doesn't matter. Um, so I run that over the audio to begin with after normalizing. And then I would run RX seven a voice denoiser and that's under a, um, algorithm of just an adaptive algorithm. So it, it listened, it kind of learns the file as it's doing it and then uh, adapts so it's, it, so cleans it's, it up. So it's not like a one size fits all, but you don't have to change things every time it adapts. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the adaptive runs over the, the source file, which is real clean. It's nice. It's a nice little, um, layer uh, and filter that cleans out a lot of the stuff that you, you know, would normally have to just, I would say, clean up with noise reduction. Um, so that, that's the one pass. The next pass would be, uh, a, a, a slight mouth declick at a certain 
setting level, um, which is a recipe that comes from Roy and a little bit of my work. So it's it's voice denoise, declick, and then it's compression, and then it's de-easer, and then it's normalization, and then I do what's called a hard limit on it to meet the minus 3 dB uh, specification or minus 3.5 specification for either find a way or ACX. Right. So uh, the hard limit just being so that you don't have clipping. Exactly. Yeah. And it still, and it gets it, uh, everything kind of close to that minus three DB, which is their, their ACX's output. And then the minus 3.5 is the, the output for find a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like everything up at that, that it looks kind of odd if you're an engineer, cause it's all squared off, but you're, yeah, the, to your point, the, not clipping. Yeah, the first um, time I saw that, I thought that's going to sound horrible. And then once <laughs> once I learned why it is that it looks that way and that it was done with a limiter and not actual clipping, I thought, eh, okay, this makes sense now. Right, and it, it just saves you what you know from if you're listening to it and say your car, you're not having to turn up the volume if the the person's whispering or um, you know if things get quiet, it's still not at a level where you're like, what did they just do? I got to you know, yeah. that would be a nightmare if you're having to constantly go back and forth. So that helps the overall finalization of the file. And after I do that and I kick it out to, um, the, the vendor, it's, it's, it's always a go. I, um, uh, yeah, that's one of my biggest complaints about podcasts is that, uh, a lot of them don't seem to do much compression or, um, or limiting with some, some pregain, um, in order to even out the volume. And I'll be listening to a podcast when I'm riding my bike and if it's a live show where people are clapping or whatever, all of a sudden I've got to, you know, real quick reach back and turn the volume down so that my eardrums don't start bleeding. And then yep. as soon as somebody starts talking, I have to turn the volume back up again so I can hear what the hell they're saying. So yeah. one of one of my biggest complaints. And so um, I can certainly understand why, um, you know, spoken word stuff is is evened out that way. Yeah. And I, I mean, everybody, I, I, again, I think that as long as the engineer meets a particular spec, obviously that's for a publishing house and it's a go and they, you know, it's not kickback, whatever they're doing is fine. I think we all have our subjective recipes. Um, again, I've been doing what I've been doing, uh, more so than not for the last five years professionally and have never really had a no, I don't want you to do this for me again, uh, situation, mm-hmm. um, which I love. I mean, I love doing the work. I love, you know, the clients that I work for. I love that I have, you know, Marnie Young, you know, knocking at my door every day with new stuff. Um, I love the work that we're doing for Learning Ally. We, the, the volunteers that are coming in are just brilliant and, um, we're fortunate. I mean, people like Marnie Young are recording for, you know, Learning Ally. People like Rich Miller are recording for Learning Ally. I mean, we couldn't be happier as an organization to be able to tap into that community because it's so giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. the one thing I've learned over the last few years is the voiceover community as a whole, they're very, uh, accommodating slash giving in any way they possibly can. And especially when it comes to learning ally to use your voice for us, it's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, like I said before, I, I certainly think it's a good organization. And whenever I see them mentioned online, I always throw in, yep, you should, you should work for them if you, uh, if you want some experience and uh, if you want to do a good thing. So. Yep. I agree. I appreciate that. Good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so you spend an awful lot of time, full-time job plus hours every day as well on other audio engineering. What do you do when you're not engineering? You said something about having a son who was 75. I assume he's not 75 yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm actually also very fortunate with my job and and the flexibility of virtual work. Um, In the last five years, I've been able to take the role over for my wife, who's now got a job that's a little farther away from home. And I'm able to get my son up in the morning, get him ready for school every day, take him to school every day because the school is 150 yards from our house. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then also be back in time from work if I'm at the office, um, in order to pick him up every day. So he's only in uh, fourth grade. He's 10 years old going on 75 because he thinks he knows everything. <laughs> Don't um, we all at that age. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and he's just a wonderful, uh, human being. That's great. That's great. So you spend quite a bit of time with him. Yeah. I, I again, I'm, uh, most dads are, you know, I can't say as fortunate as I've been over the last five years uh, to be able to spend as much time as I have with him. Sometimes I want to 
choke him out, but it's only with love. <laughs> um, yeah. and he and I, he and I are very similar. So I think that that's also part of our dynamic at times. Um, we can both, you know, debate each other until we're blue in the face. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of, uh, commonality or, or, you know, similarities. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just very fortunate, uh, to be a father at this time in my life and, and be able to spend as much time as I do with him. That's cool. Uh, it sounds like, uh, sounds like a good thing. Um, so you have listened to over the past 20 years, a hell of a lot of different people reading books into a microphone. So, um, based on your, all of your experience, but more, especially your, your experience in the past five, seven years since you've been uh, venturing out of Learning Ally and working on um, retail audiobooks as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. what, what kind of advice would you have for narrators from the engineer's point of view, from somebody who is getting the audio and having to make it sound perfect? Levels. Make sure your level is a good, strong level. We don't want too low. We don't want too hot. But when we have to engineer something one way or another it's just another i'll just say layer to a an onion that we don't necessarily need so to focus on as an engineer or as a narrator to make sure that you're getting the best signal in and not clipping your audio but yet not at you know running it minus like uh you know 78 80 db down there where it's just super quiet mm -hmm. um uh, that's one of my, I don't want to call it frustrating points, but it's like, you need to know that going in that your levels need to be up in and around minus nine, minus six, something like that for me to really get the overall scope of your whole environment. Because what happens is when I enhance the audio, the noise floor that looked wonderful in my face right there as a raw file has now changed because I've now moved the file up in a in a decibel level where it should be, and now that might change my recipe um, from what I would do if I just got it and left it the way it was. Yeah, so, I think a lot of people know, don't a, don't don't realize early on uh, when they're first starting. I'm sure most people do fairly quickly after that. But uh, if you raise the volume so that your voice is louder, you're raising the volume so that the silence is louder too. Exactly. So you yeah. really, and that, that, that's a great way to kind of pivot right now in saying what you really need to do <laughs> is get your environment set up to where you can record a sample of nothing and that you send that nothing file of silence, you know, 30 seconds of room tone to your engineer. And then they know what they're up against right out of the gate, mm -hmm. because that is the baseline for what you have to engineer once you get the raw file. Um, you know, granted they may, you know, you, you would, you would record something, make sure you're not clipping and then give me silence because that's the true room sound that I now have to manage. And that can change. And that's the other thing. It can change from day to day, even though it's the same room. I don't know if you've ever run into this, but even though it's the same room, you could have the mic placement a little bit different um, from day one or day 12 and every file you can't use a similar or sim like you can't just expect to use the same recipe, uh, across every file in sort of a batch way in, in hopes that you're going to get everything equally the same and then it's not going to degrade or destruct the audio. Yeah. So you have I, to be very meticulous on like file for file situation versus, oh, I got 30 files from, from Rich everything's going to be the same. That's not necessarily the case. Yeah. No, I have run into that. Fortunately, my experience with that has been very minor to the point where I think that most people, um, well, some narrators and most engineers would probably notice a slight difference, but I think most listeners would not. So it, it's been very minor, but I have run into that. And I assume that that's why several or most or all publishers will give you their requirements for the files that you're supposed to turn in. And they will say in every file include 10 seconds or 30 seconds of room tone at the end of the file. Right. Exactly. Because every session potentially could be different, mm -hmm. um, or have some difference to it where, 
you know, would it be, it would be brilliant if I could take a, a 30, cha- I just did um, a, a book that was 55, 54 chapters. Oof, yeah. If I could take those 54, get one noise print from chapter two and apply that across all 55 and be comfortable with that, there's no way because anything can, the slightest variation can change what that noise floor was. And then you're using the same algorithm to apply against something that's a little bit different in frequency. And then all of a sudden a frequency that you wanted there is no longer there and it just destructs the file. Um, So you have to be, as an engineer, you really have to pay attention file for file and not just take it for granted that you've, you've fixed one file and you can apply that across all of the other files. Um, Sometimes you can, I mean, it's not, I, you know, I just know that from experience, I have been burned by just a, just a, a situation mm-hmm. where I felt like, oh, I have a noise print from chapter one. I'm going to apply that across 30 chapters and I go listen to it. And they're the from chapter two on down, they're jacked up. Yeah, no, um, I, I understand. Like like I said, I've, I'm fortunate. <laughs> I, I guess you could look at it as fortunate in that the way that my booth is set up, I have there's very little, very little leeway for me in terms of how things are positioned. Uh, and so very little changes in terms of that. But there are other things that I've found where if I forget to close the outside bedroom door three rooms away from this booth, every once in a mm. while I'll hear something that mm. I didn't hear as I was recording. Uh, so and that, that actually, that and, and I hate to interrupt you, but that actually brings up a brilliant point of being aware of what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are times where audio will come through and all of a sudden I'm going to hear a siren through the audio. And I'm like, uh, there's a siren in there because the car just went by your house. Yeah. You know, being a little more self-aware of your surroundings when you're recording and, and being kind of like, I guess the, the self-aware of just understanding that if you hear something like that, guess what? It's on your recording. So you need to stop, drop and roll. Yep and um, move back or punch and roll or delete and then pick up where you were. And that whole self-awareness is is very paramount because you sent me a file and I have a bunch of things that I have to either get rid of or create as a pickup when I didn't necessarily have to because one didn't hear it on their end. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's a learning curve. Yeah, well, that's that's all great. Michael, thanks so much for coming in tonight. This has been fantastic. It's been quite a while since I've uh, spoken with an engineer, and uh, so always always happy to talk to people in different parts of this industry. Well, I appreciate you having me, and I hope that it was um, or will be enjoyable for your listeners. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it will be. Um, so if people want to look you up online, where, where can people find you? Um, let me see. My my best bet would be my Twitter account. It's at VO Community. Um, at VO Community would be the best one to reach out to me um, okay. on Twitter. Facebook, it's, you know, if you search for Michael J. Kinsey um, and then LinkedIn, I'm also Michael J. Kinsey on LinkedIn. And that's K-I-N-S-E-Y, like the report, which we all know and love. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure over the years you've heard that a few times. <laughs> I have, and it's been <laughs> lovely to speak about. Uh, um, so yeah, it's been great, Rich. I really appreciate your willingness and thanks for your flexibility. I hope your wife's feeling better. Oh yeah. And, and I'm uh, glad that you're feeling better too. I, sh- I should, uh, just to explain that to everybody listening. Yeah. We had some, uh, some illnesses, uh, cause scheduling <laughs> difficulties. This is the time of year for it. And in fact, I'm another reason I wanted to have the drink that I had tonight, which is now gone was I figured pineapple juice, lots of vitamin C in that. There you go. There so, you go. Uh, so can't be bad. Nope, can't be bad. And I look forward to another call, my friend. And um, yeah, me too. I'll look Hopefully forward we can... to seeing you at APAC. Yeah, you're going to be there this year. Oh yeah, Learning Ally is actually going to have a uh, a little bit more of a presence, and I'm thinking we're going to be doing at least a session. I know that um, certain people like Stephen J. Cohen are always talking about us when people are asking him, mm-hmm. "Hey, what can I do to do to do to do?" To your point, go to Learning Ally. Yeah. They have you know, start with Learning Ally. You're going to get great experience. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, people like yourself and Stephen J. Cohen talking about us, it's just brilliant. Um, J. Michael Collins is another one I'll throw out there that always talks about us and, and, and moves people our direction. Um, so the world that we're in, this VO community, is just giving and loving and thank you, everybody out there. Yeah, that's great. So uh, I'll, I'll, I uh, have already registered for APAC, so unless something goes wrong, I will be there. And uh, if Learning Ally has a presence, I'll uh, definitely look you up. Thank you, sir. 
All right. Thanks, Michael. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Michael Kinsey for stopping in. I enjoyed hearing from someone on the engineering side for the first time in a while, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from Apple Podcasts. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!